Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The World of Percy Jackson. In this episode we'll read chapters 13 and 14. Now in the previous episode we read chapters 11 and 12 and Percy had a very unique dream in chapter 12 where it showed Bianca's Bianca and Nico's mother and what happened to her and also what happened to Bianca and Nico and how they ended up in the Lotus Casino as well as another dream of seeing Rachel and her family out on the beach and seeing what they are currently doing and Rachel sensed something bad was gonna happen and promised her dad and or made a deal that he will go she uh, that he will let me we will he they will return she and her family will return back to New York and she will go to Clarion Ladies Academy for in exchange and Percy woke up to Talia saying that a Titan wants to see you under a flag of truce as well as a message from Kronos. So we will see what that message is when we read chapter 13. A Titan brings me a present. We could see the white flag from half a mile away. It was as big as a soccer field carried by a 30 foot tall giant with bright blue skin and icy gray hair. A, hyper- a hyperborean, Talia said. The giants of the north. It's a bad sign that they sided with Kronos. They're usually peaceful. You've met them? I said. Mm. There's a big colony in Alberta. You do not want to get into a snowball fight with those guys. As the giants got closer, I could see three human-sized envoys with him. A half-blood in armor, an impusa demon with a black dress and flaming hair, and a tall man in a tuxedo. The Impusa held the tux, tux dude's arm, so they looked like a couple on their, on their way to a Broadway show or something, except for her flaming hair and fangs. The group walked leisurely toward the Hexture of Playground. The swings and ball courts were empty. The only sound was the fountain on Umpire Rock. I looked at Grover. The Tux dude is the Titan? He nodded nervously. He looks like a magician. I hate magicians. They usually have rabbits. I stared at him. You're scared of bunnies? Blah! They're big bullies, always stealing celery from defenseless satyrs. Tal- Talia coughed. What? Grover demanded. We'll have to work on your bunny prophobia later, I said. Here they come. The man in the tux stepped forward. He was taller than an average human, about seven feet. His black hair was tied in a ponytail. Dark around glasses covered his eyes, but what really caught my attention was the skin on his face. It was covered in scratches, like he'd been attacked by a small animal. A really, really mad hamster, maybe. Percy Jackson, he said in a silky voice. It's a great honor. His lady friend, the Impusa, hissed at me. She'd probably heard about how I destroyed two of her sisters last summer. My dear, Tux Dude said to her. Why don't you make yourself comfortable over there, eh? She released his arm and drifted over to a punk bench. I glanced at the armed demigod behind behind Tex Dude. I hadn't recognized him in his new helmet, but it was my old backstabbing buddy Ethan Nakamura. His nose looked like a squashed tomato from our fight on the Williamsburg Bridge. That made me feel better. Hey, Ethan, I said. You're looking good. Ethan glared at me. To business. Tex Dude extended his hand. I am Prometheus. I was too surprised to shake. The fire stealer guy? The chain to the rock with the vultures guy? Prometheus winced. He touched the scratches on his face. Please don't mention the vultures. But yes, I stole fire from the gods and gave it to your ancestors. In return, the ever merciful Zeus had me chained to a rock and tortured for all eternity. But. How did I get free? Hercules did that eons ago. So you see, I have a a soft spot for heroes. Some of you can be quite civilized. Unlike the company you keep, I noticed. I was looking at Ethan, but Prometheus apparently thought I meant the Impusa. Oh, demons aren't so bad, he said. You just have to keep them well fed. Now, Percy Jackson, let us parley. He waved me toward a picnic table and we sat down. Talia and Grover stood behind me. The blue giant propped his white flag against a tree and began absently playing on the playground. He stepped on the monkey bars and crushed them, but he didn't seem angry. He just frowned and said, "Uh Uh-oh, then stepped into the fountain and broke the concrete bowl in half. Uh Uh-oh. The water froze where his foot touched it. 
A bunch of stuffed animals hung from his belt, the huge kind you get for grand prizes at an arcade. He reminded me of Tyson, and the idea of fighting him made me sad. Prometheus sat forward and laced his fingers. He looked earnest, kindly, and wise. Percy, your position is weak. You know you can't stop another assault. We'll see. Prometheus looked pained, like he really cared about what happened to me. Percy, I'm the Titan of Forethought. I know what's going to happen. Also, the Titan of Crafty Council, Grover put in. Emphasis on Crafty. Prometheus shrugged. True enough, Seder, but I supported the gods in the last war. I told Kronos you don't have the strength, you will lose. And I was right. So you see, I know how to pick the winning side. This time, I'm backing Kronos. Because Zeus changed you to a rock, I guess. Partly, yes. I won't deny I want revenge. But that's, the only, that's, that's not the only reason I'm supporting Kronos. It's the wisest choice. I'm here because I thought you might listen to reason. He drew a map on the table with his finger. Wherever he touched, golden lines appeared, glowing on the concrete. This is Manhattan. We have heart armies here, 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 and here. We know your numbers. We outnumber you 20 to 1. Your spy has been keeping you posted, I guessed. Prometheus smiled apologetically. At any rate, our forces are growing daily. Tonight, Kronos will attack. You will be overwhelmed. You fought bravely, but there's just no way you can hold all of Manhattan. You'll be forced to retreat to the Empire State Building. There, you'll be destroyed. I have seen this. It will happen. I thought about the picture Rachel had drawn in my dreams. An army at the base of the Empire State Building. I remember the words of the young girl Oracle in my dream. I foresee the future. I cannot change it. Prometheus spoke with such certainty. It was, not, it was hard not to believe him. I won't let it happen, I said. Prometheus brushed a speck off his tux label. Understand, Percy, you are refighting the Trojan War here. Patterns repeat themselves in history. They reappear just as monsters do. A great siege, two armies, the only difference is this time you are defending. You are Troy. And you know what happened to the Trojans, don't you? So you're gonna cram a wooden horse into the Empire elevator at the Empire State Building? I asked. Good luck. Prometheus smiled. Troy was completely destroyed, Percy. You don't want that to happen here. Stand down and New York will be spared. Your forces will be granted amnesty. I will personally assure your safety. Let Kronos take Olympus. Who cares? Typhon will destroy the gods anyway. Right, I said, and I'm supposed to believe Kronos would spare the city. All he wants is Olympus, Prometheus promised. The might of the gods is tied to, uh, tied to their seats of power. You saw what happened to Poseidon once his undersea palace was attacked. I winced, remembering how old and de decrepit my father looked. Yes, Prometheus said sadly. I know that was hard for you. When Kronos destroys Olympus, the gods will fade. They'll become so weak, they'll be easily defeated. Kronos would rather do this while Typhon has the Olympians distracted in the west. Much easier. Fewer lives lost, but make no mistake. The best you can do is slow us down. The day after tomorrow, Typhon arrives in New York, and you will have no chance at all. The gods in Mount Olympus will, be, will still be destroyed. But it'll be much messier. Much, much worse for you and your city. Either way, the Titans will rule. Talia pounded her fist on the table. I serve Artemis. The hunters will fight to our, to our, to our last breath. Percy, you're, you're not seriously going to listen to this slime ball, are you? I figured Prometheus was going to blast her, but he just smiled. Your courage does you credit, Talia Grace. Talia stiffened. That's my mother's surname. I don't use it. As you wish, Prometheus said casually. But I could tell he'd gotten under her skin. I'd never even heard Talia's last name before. Somehow it made her seem almost normal, less mysterious and powerful. At any rate, the Titan said, you need not be my enemy. I've always been a helper of mankind. That's a load of minotaur dung, Talia said. When mankind first sacrificed to the gods, you tricked them into giving you the best portion. You gave us fire to annoy the gods, not because you cared about us. Prometheus shook his head. You don't understand. I helped, shaped you. I helped shape your nature. 
A wiggling lump of clay appeared in his hands. He fashioned it into a little doll with legs and arms. The lump man didn't have any eyes, but it groped around the table, stumbling around Prometheus's fingers. I have been whispering in man's ears since the beginning of your existence. I represent your curiosity, your sense of exploration, your inventiveness. Help me save you, Percy. Do this and I will give mankind a new gift, a new revelation that will move you as far forward as fire did. You can't make that kind of advance under the gods. They would never allow it. But this could be a new golden age for you, or... He made a fist and smashed the clay man into a pancake. The blue giant rumbled. Uh-oh! Over at the park bench, the Impusa bared her fangs in a smile. Percy, you know the Titans and their offspring are not all bad, Prometheus said. You've met Calypso. My, fel- my face felt hot. That's different. How? Much like me, she did nothing wrong, and yet she was exi- exiled forever simply because she was Atlas's daughter. We are not your enemies. Don't let the worst happen, he pleaded. We offer you peace. I looked at Ethan Nakamura. You must hate this. I don't know what you mean. If we took this deal, you wouldn't get revenge. You wouldn't get to kill us all. Isn't that what you want? His good eye flared. All I want is respect, Jackson. The gods never gave me that. You wanted me to go to your stupid camp, spend my time crammed into the Hermes cabin because I'm not important. Not even recognized. He sounded just like Luke when he tried to kill me in the woods at camp four years ago. That memory made my hand ache where the pit scorpion had stung me. Your mom's the goddess of revenge, I told Ethan. We should respect that. Nemesis stands for balance. When people have too much good luck, she tears them down. Which is why she took your eye? It was payment, he growled. In exchange, she swore to me that one day I would tip the balance of power. I would bring the minor gods respect. And I was a small price to pay. Great mom. At least she keeps her word. Unlike the Olympians, she always pays her debts. Good or evil. Yeah, I said. So I saved your life, and you repaid me by raising Kronos. That's fair. Ethan grabbed the hilt of his sword, but Prometheus stopped him. Now, now, the Titan said. We're on a diplomatic mission. Prometheus studied me as if trying to understand my anger. Then he nodded like he just picked a thought from my brain. It bothers you what happened to Luke, he decided. Hestia didn't show you the full story. Perhaps if you understood. The Titan reached out. Talia cried a warning, but before I could react, Prometheus's index finger touched my forehead. Suddenly, I was back in May Castellan's living room. Candles flickered on the fireplace mantle, reflecting in the mirrors along the walls. Through the kitchen doorway, I could see Talia sitting at the table while Miss Castellan bandaged her wounded leg. Seven-year-old Annabeth sat next to her, playing with a Medusa beanbag toy. Hermes and Luke stood apart in the living room. The god's face looked liquid in the candlelight, like he couldn't decide what shape to adopt. He was dressed in a navy blue jogging outfit with winged Reeboks. Why show yourself now? Luke demanded. His shoulders were tense, as if he expected a fight. All these years I've been calling to you, praying you showed up, showed up, and nothing. You left me with her. He pointed toward the kitchen like he couldn't bear to look at his mother, much less say her name. Luke, do not dishonor her, Hermes warned. Your mother did the best she could. As for me, I could not interfere your pa- with your path. The children of the gods must find their own way. So it was for my own good, growing up on the streets, fending for myself, fighting monsters. You're my son, Hermes said. I knew you had the ability. When I was only a baby, I crawled from my cradle and sat out for- I'm not a god! Just once you could, you could have said something. You could have helped when- He took an unsteady breath, lowering his voice when so no one in the kitchen could overhear. And she was having one of her fits, shaking me and saying crazy things about my fate. When I used to hide in the closet so she wouldn't find me with those, those glowing eyes. Did you even care that I was scared? Did you even know when I finally ran away? In the kitchen, Miss Castellan chattered aimlessly, pouring Kool-Aid for Talia and Annabeth as she told them stories about Luke as a baby. Talia rubbed her bandaged leg nervously. Annabeth glanced into the living room and held up a burned cookie for Luke to see. She mouthed, Can we go now? Luke, I care very much, 
Hermes said slowly. But gods must not interfere directly in mortal affairs. It is one of our ancient laws, especially when your destiny... His voice trailed off. He stared at the candles as if remembering something unpleasant. What? Luke said. What about my destiny? You should not have come back, Hermes muttered. It only upsets you both. However, I see now that you are getting too old to be on the run without help. I'll speak with Chiron at Camp Half-Blood and ask him to send a satyr to collect you. We're doing fine without your help, Luke growled. Now what were you saying about my destiny? The wings on Hermes' Reeboks fluttered restlessly. He studied his son like he was trying to memorize his face, and suddenly a cold feeling washed through me. I realized Hermes knew what May Castellan's mutterings meant. I wasn't sure, but looking at his face, I was absolutely certain. Hermes understood what would happen to Luke someday. How? He would turn evil. My son, he said, I'm the god of travelers, the god of roads. If I know anything, I know that you must walk your own path, even if it te tears my heart. You don't love me. I promise. I, I do love you. Go to camp. I will see that you, have a, you get a quest soon. Perhaps you can defeat the Hydra or steal the apples of Hesperides. You will get a chance to be a great hero before... Before what? Luke's voice was trembling now. What did my mother see that made her like this? What's going to happen to me? If you love me, tell me. Hermes' expression tightened. I, I cannot. Then you don't care, Luke yelled. In the kitchen, the talking died abruptly. Luke, Makastan called. Is that you? Is my boy all right? Luke turned to hide his face, but I could see the tears in his eyes. I'm fine. I have a new family. I don't need either of you. I'm your father, Hermes insisted. A father is supposed to be around. I've never even met you. Talia, Annabeth, come on, we're leaving. My boy, don't go, Maycastellan called after him. I have your lunch ready. Luke stormed out of the door, Talia and Annabeth scrambling after him. Maycastellan tried to follow, but Hermes held her back. As the screen door slammed, May collapsed in Hermes' arms and began to shake. Her eyes opened glowing green, and she clutched desperately at Hermes' shoulder. My son, she hissed in a dry voice. Danger, terrible fate. I know, my love, Hermes said sadly. Believe me, I know. The image faded. Prometheus pulled his hand away from my forehead. Percy? Talia asked. What, what was that? I realized I was clammy with sweat. Prometheus nodded sympathetically. Appalling, isn't it? The gods know what is to come, and yet they do nothing, even for their children. How long does it take for them to tell you your prophecy, Percy Jackson? Don't you think your father knows what will happen to you? I was too stunned to answer. Percy, Grover warned. He's playing with your mind, trying to make you angry. Grover could read emotions, so he probably knew what Prometheus was succeeding. Do you really blame your friend Luke? The Tyne asked me. What about and what about you, Percy? Will you be controlled by your fate? Kronos offers you a much better deal. I clenched my fists. As much as I hated what Prometheus has shown me, I hated Kronos a lot more. I'll give you a deal. Tell Kronos to call off his attack. Leave Luke Castellan's body and return to the pits of Tartarus. Then maybe I won't have to destroy him. The Impusa snarled. Her hair erupted in fresh flames, and Prometheus just sighed. If you change your mind, he said, I have a gift for you. A Greek vase appeared on the table. It was about three feet high and a foot wide, glazed with black and white geometric designs. The ceramic lid was fastened with a leather harness. Grover whimpered when he saw it. Talia gasped. That's not... Yes, Prometheus said. You recognize it. Looking at the jar, I felt a strange sense of fear, but I had no idea why. This belonged to my sister-in-law, Prometheus explained. Pandora. A lump formed in my throat. As in Pandora's box? Prometheus shook his head. I don't know how this box business got started. It was never a box. It was a pithos, a storage jar. I, guess, I suppose Pandora's pithos doesn't have the same ring to it. But never mind that. Yes, she did open this jar, which contained most of the demons that now haunt mankind. Fear, death, hunger, sickness. 
And don't forget me. The Impusa purred. Indeed, Prometheus conceded. The first Impusa was also trapped in this jar, released by Pandora. But what I find curious about the story... Pandora always gets the blame. She is punished for being curious. The gods would have had would have would have you believe that this is the lesson. Mankind should not explore. They should not ask questions. They should do what they are told. In truth, Percy, this jar was a trap designed by Zeus and the other gods. It was revenge on me and my entire family. My poor simple brother Epimetheus and his wife Pandora. The gods knew she would open the jar. They were willing to punish the entire race of humanity along with us. I thought about my dream of Hades and Maria D'Angelo. Zeus had destroyed an entire hotel to eliminate two demigod children just to save his own skin because he was scared of a prophecy. He killed an innocent woman and probably hadn't lost any sleep over it. Hades was no better. He wasn't powerful enough to take his revenge on Zeus, so he cursed the oracle, dooming a young girl to a horrible fate. And Hermes... Why had he ab- abandoned Luke? Why hadn't he at least warned Luke or tried to raise him better so he wouldn't turn evil? Maybe Prometheus was toying with my mind. But what if he's right? Part of me wondered. How are the gods any better than the Titans? Prometheus tapped the lid on of Pandora's jar. Only one spirit remained inside when Pandora opened it. Hope, I said. Prometheus looked pleased. Very good, Percy. Elpis, the spirit of hope, would not abandon humanity. Hope does not leave without being given permission. She can only be released by a child of man. The titan slid the jar across the table. I give you this as a reminder of what the gods are like, he said. Keep Elpis, if you wish. But if you decide that you have seen enough destruction, enough futile suffering, then open the jar. Let Elpis go. Give up hope. And I will know that you are surrendering. I will, And I promise... Cronus will be lenient. He will spare the survivors. I stared at the jar and got a very bad feeling. I figured Pandora had been very completely ADHD, like me. I could never leave things alone. I didn't like temptation. But if this was my choice, maybe the prophecy all came down to my keeping this jar closed or opening it. I don't want the thing. I growled. Too late. Prometheus said, the gift is given. It cannot be taken back. He stood. The Impusa came forward and slipped her arm through this. His. Moraine, Prometheus called to the blue giant. We are leaving. Get your flag. Uh-oh, the giant said. We'll see you soon, Percy Jackson, Prometheus promised. One way or another. Ethan Nakamura gave me one last hateful look. Then the truce party turned and strolled up the lane to through Central Park. Like it was just a regular sunny Sunday afternoon. And that is the end of chapter 13. I do gotta say that Prometheus was a little interesting and wasn't as harsh compared to the other demons we've seen. And how he did try to be civilized about this and not get too angry about Percy not agreeing again and again. And I gotta respect that, but... Again, I really do hope that Percy doesn't side with the demons, even though the gods have done some things wrong, but they have to, but sometimes, you know, Hermes, he had to follow the rules, so I can't think, I don't think Luke can really blame him on that, and yeah, I really do hope that Percy is able to beat the Olymp- the Titans and finally beat Kronos and banish him to Tartarus forever, and nobody ever comes and releases him ever again. But we'll see what happens to Percy and what decision he may be considering about the vase when we read chapter 14, Pigs Fly, right after this break. And we are back from the ads, and now we'll read chapter 14, Pigs Fly. Back at the plaza, Talia pulled me aside. What did Prometheus show you? Reluctantly, I told her about the vision of May Castellan's house. Talia rubbed her thigh like she was remembering the old wound. That was a bad night, she admitted. And it was so little, I don't think she really understood what she saw. She just knew Luke was upset. I looked out the, hot- no, I looked out the hotel windows at Central Park. 
Small fires were still burning in the north, but otherwise the city seemed unnaturally peaceful. Do you know what happened to May Castellan? I mean, I know what you mean, Talia said. I never saw her have a um, episode, but Luke told me about the glowing eyes, the strange things she would say. He made me promise never to tell what caused it. I have no idea. If Luke knew, he never told me. Hermes knew, I said. Something caused May to see parts of Luke's future, and Hermes understood what would happen, how Luke would turn into Kronos. Talia frowned. You can't be sure of that. Remember Prometheus was manipulating what you saw, Percy, showing you what happened in the worst possible light. Hermes did love Luke. I could tell just by looking at his face, and Hermes was there that night because he was checking up on May, taking care of her. He wasn't all bad. It's still not right, I insisted. Luke was just a little kid. Hermes never helped him, never stopped him from running away. Talia shouldered her bow. Again, it struck me how stronger she looked now that she stopped aging. You could almost see a silvery glow around her, the blessing of Artemis. Percy, she said. You can't start you can't start, start feeling sorry for Luke. We all have tough things to deal with. All demigods do. Our parents are hardly ever around, but Luke made bad choices. Nobody forced him to do that. In fact, she glanced down the hall to make sure we were alone. I'm worried about Annabeth. If she has to face Luke in battle, I don't know if she can do it. She's always had a soft spot for him. Blood rose to my face. She'll do fine. I don't know. After that night, after we left his mom's house, Luke was never the same. He got reckless and moody. Like, he had something to prove. By the time Grover found us and tried to get us to camp, well, part of the reason we had so much trouble was because Luke wouldn't be careful. He wanted to pick a fight with every monster we crossed. Emma didn't see that as a problem. Luke was our hero. She only understood that his parents had made him sad, and she got very defensive of him. She still is defensive. All I'm saying, don't you fall in the same, fall in the same trap. Luke has given himself to Kronos now. We can't afford to be soft on him. I looked out at the fires in Harlem, wondering how, how many sleeping mortals were in danger right now because of Luke's bad choices. You're right, I said. Talia patted my shoulder. I'm going to check on the hunters, then get some more sleep before nightfall. You should crash too. The last thing I need is more dreams. I know, believe me. Her dark expression made me wonder what she'd been dreaming about. It was a common demigod problem. The more dangerous our situation became, the worse and more frequent our dreams got. But Percy, there's no telling when you'll get another chance for rest. It's going to be a long light. night. Maybe our last night. I didn't like it, but I knew she was right. I nodded wearily and gave her Pandora's jar. Do me a favor. Lock this in the hotel vault, will you? I think I'm allergic to pithos. Talia smiled. You got it. I found the nearest bed and passed out, but of course sleep only brought more nightmares. I saw the undersea palace of my father. The enemy army was closer now, entrenched only a few hundred yards around, outside the palace. The fortress walls were completely destroyed. The temple my dad had used as his headquarters was burning with Greek fire. I zoomed in on the armory, where my brother and some other cyclops were on lunch breaks, eating from huge jars of skippy, extra chunky butter. And don't ask how it tasted underwater, because I don't want to know. As I watched, the outer wall of the armory exploded. A cyclops warrior stumbled inside, collapsing on the lunch table. Tyson knelt down to help, but it was too late. The cyclops dissolved into sea silt. Enemies, enemy giants moved toward the breach, and Tyson picked up the fallen warrior's club. He yelled something for it to his fellow blacksmiths, probably, For Poseidon! But with, his mouth was, but with his mouth was full of peanut butter, it sounded like, Pop at the bun! His brethren all grabbed hammers and chisels, yeah, chisels, yelled, Peanut butter! And charged behind Tyson into battle. And the scene shifted. I was with Ethan Nakamura at the enemy camp. What I saw made me shiver, partly because the army was so huge, partly because I recognized the place. We were in the backwoods of New Jersey, on a crumbling road lined with run-down businesses and tattered build war signs. A trampled fence rang and ringed a big yard full of cement statuary. 
The sign above the warehouse was hard to read because it was in, in red cursive, but I knew what it said. Auntie M's Garden Gnome Emporium. I hadn't thought about a place in years. It was clearly abandoned. The statues were broken and spray-painted with graffiti. A cement satyr, Grover's Uncle Ferdinand, had lost his arm. Part of the warehouse roof had caved in. A big yellow sign pasted on the door read, Condemned. Hundreds of tents and fires surrounded the property. Mostly, I saw monsters, but there were huge, some human mercenaries in combat fatigues and demigods in armor, too. A purple and black banner hung out side the emporium, guarded by two blue Hyporbrians, Boreans. Ethan was crouched at the nearest campfire. A couple of other demigods sat with him, sharpening their swords. The doors of the, of the warehouse opened, and Prometheus stepped out. Nakamura, he called. The master would like to speak to you. Ethan stood up warily. Something wrong? Prometheus smiled. You'll have to ask him. One of the dem- other demigods snickered. <laughs> nice knowing you. Ethan readjusted his sword belt and headed into the warehouse. Except for the hole in the roof, the place was just as I rem- remembered. Statues of terrified people stood frozen in mid-scream. In the snack bar, area, snack bar area, the picnic tables had been moved aside. Right between the soda dispenser and pretzel warmer stood a golden throne. Kronos lounged on it, his scythe across his lap. He wore jeans and a t-shirt, and with his brooding experience, he all looked almost human, like the younger version of Luke I'd seen in the vision, pleading with Hermes to tell him his fate. Then Luke saw Ethan, and his face contorted in a very inhuman smile. His golden eyes glowed. Well, Nakamura, what did you think of the diplomatic mission? Ethan hesitated. I'm sure Lord Prometheus is better suited to speak, but I asked you. Ethan's good eye darted back and forth, noting the guards that stood around Kronos. I... I don't think Jackson will surrender. Ever. Kronos nodded. Anything else you want to tell me? No, sir. You look nervous, Ethan. No, sir, it's just... I heard this was the lair of... Medusa. Yes, quite true. Lovely place, eh? Unfortunately, Medusa hasn't reformed since Jackson killed her, so you needn't worry about joining her collection. Besides, there are much more dangerous forces in this room. Kronos looked over at at a Lastragonian giant who was munching noisily on some french fries. Kronos waved his hand and the giant froze. A french fry hung suspended in midair halfway between his hand and his mouth. Why turn them to stone? Kronos asked, when you can freeze time itself. His golden eyes bored into Ethan's face. Now tell me one more thing. What happened last night on the Williamsburg Bridge? Ethan trembled. Beads of perspiration were popping up on his forehead. I... I don't know, sir. Yes, you do, Kronos rose from his seat. When you attacked Jackson, something happened. Something was not quite right. The girl Annabeth jumped in your way. She wanted to save him. But he's invulnerable, Kronos said quietly. You saw that yourself. I I can't explain it. Maybe she forgot. She forgot, Kronos said. Yes, that's, that must have been it. Oh dear, I forgot my friend is invulnerable and I took a knife for him. Oops. Tell me, Ethan, where were you aiming when you stabbed at Jackson? Ethan frowned. He clasped his hand as he were holding a blade and mimed a thrust. I'm not sure, sir. It all happened so fast, I wasn't aiming for any spot in particular. Kronos' fingers tapped the blade of his scythe. I see, he said in a chilly tone. If your memory improves, I will expect. Suddenly, the Titan Lord winced. The giant in that corner unfroze and the french fry fell into his mouth. Kronos stumbled backward and sank into his throne. My lord? Ethan started forward. I... The voice was weak, but just for a moment it was Luke's. Then Kronos' expression hardened. He raised his hand and flexed his fingers slowly as if it was first, as if forcing them to obey. It is nothing, he said, his voice steely and cold again. A minor discomfort. Ethan moistened his lips. He's still fighting you, isn't he? Luke. 
Nonsense. Kronos spat. Repeat that lie and I will cut out your tongue. The boy's soul has been crushed. I'm simply adjusting to the limits of this form. It requires rest. It is annoying, but no more than a temporary inconvenience. Uh, as you say, my lord. You! Kronos pointed his scythe at the Draconae with green armor and a green cow crown. Queen Cess, is it? Yes, my lord. Is our little surprise ready to be unleashed? The Draconae queen bared her fangs. Oh, yes, my lord. Quite a lovely surprise. Excellent, Kronos said. Tell my brother Hyperion to move our main force south into Central Park. The Hapbloods will be in such disarray they will not be able to defend themselves. Go now, Ethan. Work on improving your memory. We will talk again when we have taken Manhattan. Ethan bowed, and my dream shifted one last time. I saw the big house at camp, but it was a different era. The house was painted red instead of blue. The campers down at the volleyball pit had early 90s hairstyles, which were probably good for keeping monsters away. Chiron stood by the porch, talking to Hermes and a woman holding a baby. Chiron's hair was shorter and darker. Hermes wore his usual jogging suit with his winged high tops. The woman was tall and pretty. She had blonde hair, shining eyes, and a friendly smile. The baby in her arms squirmed in his blue blanket like Camp Half-Blood was the last place he wanted to be. It's an honor to have you here, Chirod told the woman, though he, sounded very, though he sounded nervous. It's been a long time since a mortal was allowed at camp. Don't encourage her, Hermes grumbled. May, you can't do this. With a shock, I realized I was seeing May Kastan. She looked nothing like the old woman I've met. She seemed full of life, the kind of person who could smile and make everyone around her feel good. Oh, don't worry so much, May said, rocking the baby. Baby, you need an oracle, don't you? The old one's been dead for what, 20 years? Longer, Chiron said gravely. Hermes raised his arms in exasperation. I didn't tell you that story so you could apply. It's dangerous, Chiron, tell her. It is, Chiron warned. For many years, I've forbidden anyone from trying. We don't know exactly what's happening. Humanity seems to have lost the ability to host the Oracle. We've been through that, May said, and I know I can do it. Hermes, this is my chance to do something good. I've been given the gift of sight for a reason. I wanted to yell at May Castellan to stop. I knew what was about to happen. I finally understood how her life had been destroyed, but I couldn't move or speak. Hermes looked more hurt than worried. You couldn't marry if you became the Oracle. He complained. You couldn't see me anymore. May put her hand on his arm. I can't have you forever, can I? You will move on soon. You're immortal. He started to protest, but she put her hand on his chest. You know it's true. Don't try to spare my feelings. Besides, we have a wonderful child. I can still raise Luke if I'm the Oracle, right? Chiron coughed. <coughs> Yes, but in all fairness, I don't know how that will affect the spirit of the Oracle. A woman who has already born a child, as far as I know, this has never been done before. If the spirit does not take, it will, May insisted. No, I want to shout. It won't. May Kassan kissed her baby and handed the bundle to Hermes. I'll be right back. She gave them one glass confident smile and climbed the steps. Chiron and Hermes paced in silence. The baby squirmed. A green glow lit the windows of the house. The campers stopped playing volleyball and stared up at the attic. A cold wind rushed through the strawberry fields. Hermes must have felt it too. He cried, no, no! He shoved the baby into Chiron's arms and ran for the porch. Before he reached the door, the sunny afternoon was shattered by May Castellan's terrified scream. I sat up so fast I banged my head on somebody's, somebody's shield. Ow! Sorry, Percy. And was standing over me. I was just about to wake you. I rubbed my head, trying to clear the disturbing visions. Suddenly, a lot of things made sense to me. May Castellan had tried to become the Oracle. She hadn't known about Hades' curse preventing the spirit of Delphi from taking another host. Neither had Chiron or Hermes. They hadn't realized that by taking, trying to take up the job, May would be driven mad. Plagued with fits in which her eyes would glow green and she would have shattered glimpses of her child's future. Percy? Annabeth Ab asked. What's wrong? Nothing, I lied. What, what are you doing in armor? You should be resting. 
Oh, I'm fine, she said, though she still looked pale. She was barely moving her right arm. The neck and ambrosia fixed me right up. Uh-huh. You can't seriously go out and fight. She offered me her good hand and helped me up. My hand was pounding. Outside, the sky was purple and red. You're going to need every person you have, she said. I just looked in, in my shield. There's an army heading south into Central Park, I said. Yeah, I know. I told her part of my dreams. I left out the vision of Mekka Stone because it was too disturbing to talk about. I also left out Ethan's speculation about Luke fighting Kronos inside his body. I didn't want to get Annabeth's hopes up. Do you think Ethan suspects about your weak spot? He asked. She, she asked. I don't know, I admitted. He didn't tell me. He didn't tell Kronos anything. But if he figures it out, we can't let him. I'll bonk him on the head harder next time, I suggested. Any idea what surprise Kronos was talking about? She shook her head. I didn't see anything in the shield, but I don't like surprises. Agreed. So, she said, are you going to argue about me coming along? Nah, you just beat me up. She managed to laugh, and which was good to hear. I grabbed my sword and we went to rally the troops. Talia and the head counselors were waiting for us at the reservoir. The lights of the city were blinking on at twilight. I guess a lot of them were on automatic timers. Street lamps glowed around the shore of the lake, making the water and trees look even spookier. They're coming, Talia confirmed, pointing north with a silver arrow. One of my scouts just reported they've crossed the Harlem River. There's no way to hold them back. The army... She shrugged. It's huge. We'll hold them at the park, I said. Grover, you ready? He nodded. As ready as we'll ever be. If my nature spirits can stop them anywhere, this is the place. Yes, we will, said another voice. A very old, fat satyr pushed through the crowd, stumbling over his spear. He was dressed in wood bark armor that only covered half of his belly. Lenius? I said. Don't act so surprised, he huffed. I'm a leader of the council, and you did tell me to find Grover. Well, I found him, and I'm not going to let a mere outcast lead the satyrs without my help. Behind Lenius's back, Grover made gagging motions, but the old satyr grinned like he was the savior of the day. Never fear, we'll show those titans. I didn't know whether to laugh or to be angry, but I managed to keep a straight face. Um, yeah, well, Grover, you won't be alone. Annabeth and Athena Cabin will make their stand here, and me and Talia? She patted my, me on the shoulder. Say no more, the hunters are ready. I looked at the other counselors. That leaves the rest of you with a job just as important. You have to guard the, the entrances, entrances to Manhattan. You know how tricky Kronos is. He'll hope to distract us with this big army and sneak another force in somewhere else. It's up to you to make sure that doesn't happen. Has each cabin chosen a bridge or tunnel? The counselors nodded grimly. Then let's do it, I said. Good hunting, everyone. We heard the army before we saw it. The noise was like a cannon bar barrage coming and combined with a football stadium crowd. Like every Patriots fan in New England was charging us with bazookas. At the north end of the reservoir, the enemy vanguard broke through the woods. A warrior in golden armor leading a battalion of Lashagonian giants with huge bronze axes. Hundreds of other monsters poured out behind them. Positions! Ambeth yelled. Her cabin mates scrambled. The idea was to make the army enemy army break around the reservoir. To get to us, they'd have to follow the trails, which meant they'd be marching in narrow columns on either side of the water. At first, the plan seemed to work. The enemy divided and streamed toward us along the shore. When they, came, when they were halfway across, our defenses kicked in. The jogging trail erupted in Greek fire, incinerating many of the monsters instantly. Others flailed around, engulfed in green flames. Athena campers threw grappling hooks around the largest giants and pulled them into the ground. In the woods on the right, the hunters sent a volley of silver arrows into the enemy line, destroying 20 or 30 draconae. The moor marched behind them. A bolt of lightning crackled out of the sky and fried a Lashdragonian giant to ashes. And I knew Talia must be doing her Daughter of Zeus thing. Grover raised his pipes and played a quick tune. A roar went up from the woods on both sides as every tree, rock, and bush seemed to sprout a spirit. Dryads and satyrs raised their clubs and charged. The trees wrapped around the monsters, strangling them. Grass grew around the feet of the enemy archers. Stones flew up and hit Draconae in the face. The enemy slogged forward. 
Giants smashed through the trees and naiads faded as their life sources were destroyed. Hellhounds lunged at the timber wolves, knocking them aside. Enemy archers re returned fire and a hunter fell from a high branch. Percy! Amic grabbed my arm and pointed at the reservoir. The titan in the gold armor wasn't waiting for his forces to advance around the sides. He was charging toward us, walking straight over the top of the lake. A Greek firebomb exploded right on top of him, but he raised his palm and sucked the flames out of the air. Hyperion, Ambit said in awe, the Lord of Light, Titan of the East. Bad, I guessed. Next to Atlas, he's the greatest Titan warrior. In the old days, four Titans controlled the four corners of the world. Hyperion was the East, the most powerful. He was the father of Helios, the first sun god. I'll keep him busy, I promised. Percy, even you can't just keep our forces together. We'd set up the re at the reservoir for good reason. I concentrated on the water and felt its power surging through me. I advanced through Hyperion, running over the top of the water. Yeah, buddy, you two can play at that game. Twenty feet away, Hyperion raised his sword. His eyes were just like I'd seen in my dream. As gold as Kronos's, but brighter, like miniature suns. The sea god's brat, he mused. You're the one who trapped Atlas beneath the sky again. It wasn't hard, I said. You titans are about as bright as my gym socks. Hyperion snarled. You want bright? His body ignited in a column of light and heat. I looked away, but I was still blinded. Instinctively, instinctively I raised Riptide just in time. Hyperion's blade slammed against mine. The shockwave sent a ten-foot ring of water across the surface of the lake. My eyes still burned. I had to shut off his light. I concentrated on the tidal wave and forced it to reverse. Just before impact, I jumped upward on a jet of water. Ah! The wave smashed into Hyperion and he went under. His light extinguished. I landed on the la lake's surface just as Hyperion struggled to his feet. His golden armor was dripping wet. His eyes no longer blazed, but they, will still look, they still looked murderous. You will burn, Jackson, he, bo he roared. Our swords met again, and the air charged with ozone. The battle still raged around us. On the right flank, Annabeth was leading an assault with her siblings. On the left flank, Grover and his nature spirits were regrouping and tangling the enemies with the brushes, with bushes and weeds. Enough games, Hyperion told me. We fight on land. I was about to make some clever comment, like, no, when the titan yelled. A wall of force slammed me through the air, just like the trick Kronos had pulled on the bridge. I sailed backward about 300 yards and smashed into the ground. If it hadn't been for my new invulnerability, I would have broken every bone in my body. I got to my feet groaning. I really hate it when you titans do that. Hyperion closed on me with blinding speed. I concentrated on the water, drawing strength from it. Hyperion attacked. He was powerful and fast, but he couldn't seem to land a bow. blow. The ground around his feet kept erupting in flames, but I kept dousing it just as quickly. Stop it! The titan roared. Stop that wind! I wasn't sure what he meant. I was too busy fighting. Hyperion stumbled like he was being pushed away. Water sprayed his face, stinging his eyes. The wind picked up, and Hyperion staggered backward. Percy! Grover called in amazement. How are you doing that? Doing what? I thought. Then I looked down and I realized I was standing in the middle of my own personal hurricane. Clouds of water vapor swirled around me. Winds so powerful they buffeted Hyperion and flattened the grass in a 20 yard radius. Enemy warriors threw javelins at me, but the storm knocked them aside. Sweet, I muttered, but a little more. Lightning flickered around me. The clouds darkened and the rain swirled faster. I closed in on Hyperion and blew, blew him off his feet. Percy, Grover called again. Bring him over here. I slashed and jabbed, letting my reflexes take over. Hyperion could barely defend himself. His eyes kept trying to ignite, but the hurricanes kept quenched his flames. I couldn't keep a, up a storm like this forever, though. I could feel my powers weakening. With one last effort, I propelled by Hyperion across the field, straight to where Grover's waiting. I will not be toyed with, Hyperion bellowed. He managed to get to his feet again, but Grover put his reed pipes to his lips and began to play. Lenius joined him. Around the grove, every satyr took up the song and eerie melody. 
like his cr- like a creek flowing over s- and stones. The ground erupted as at Hyperion's feet. Gnarled roots wrapped around his legs. What's this? He protested. He tried to shake off the roots, but he was still weak. The roots thickened until he looked like he was wearing wooden boots. Stop this! He shouted. Your woodland magic is no match for a titan. But the more he struggled, the faster the roots grew. They curled around his body, thickening and hardening into bark. His golden armor and melted into wood, becoming part of a large trunk. The music continued. Hyperion's faces, forces backed up in astonishment as their leader was absorbed. He stretched out his arms and they became branches, became branches from which smaller branches shot out and grew leaves. The tree grew taller and thicker, only until the titan's face was visibly in the middle of the trunk. You cannot imprison me, he bellowed. I am Hyperion. I am... The bark closed over his face. Grover took his pipes from his mouth. You are a very nice petal tree, maple tree. Several of the other satyrs passed out from exhaustion, but they'd done their job well. The Titan Lord was completely encased in an enormous maple. The trunk was at least 20 feet in diameter, with branches as tall as any in the park. The tree might have stood there for centuries. The Titan's army started to retreat. A cheer went up from the Athena cabin, but our victory was short-lived. Because just then, Kronos unleashed his surprise. The squeal echoed through Upper Manhattan. Demigods and monsters alike froze in terror. Grover shot me a panic look. Why does it sound like... It can't be! I knew what he was thinking. Two years ago, we got a gift from Pan. A huge boar that carried us across the southwest after it tried to kill us. The boar had a similar, similar squeal. What we were hearing now seemed higher pitched. Shriller. Almost like... If the boar had an angry girlfriend... A huge pink creature soared over the reservoir. A Macy's Day nightmare blimp with wings. A sow! Annabit cried. Take cover! The demigods scattered as the winged lady pig swooped down. Her wings were pink like a flamingo's, which matched her skin beautifully. But it was hard to think of her as cute when her hooves slammed into the ground, barely missing one of Annabit's siblings. The pig stomped around and tore ha- down half an acre of trees, belching a cloud of noxious gas. Then it sh- took off again, circling around for another strike. Don't tell me that thing is from Greek mythology, I complained. Afraid so, Annabeth said. The Clasmonian cell. It terrorized Greek towns back in the day. Let me guess, I said. Hercules beat it. Nope, Annabeth said. As far as I know, no hero has ever beaten it. Perfect, I muttered. The Titan's army was recovering from its shock. I guess they realized the pig wasn't after them. We only had seconds before they were ready to fight, and our forces were still in a panic. Every time the sow belched, Grover's nature spirits yelped and faded back into their trees. That pig has got to go. I grabbed a grappling hook from one of Annabeth's siblings. I'll take care of it. You guys hold the rest of the enemy. Push them back. Percy, Grover said, what if we can't? I saw how tired he was. The magic had really drained him. Amba didn't look much better from fighting with a bad shoulder wound. I didn't know how the hunters were doing, but the right flank of the enemy was now between them and us. I didn't want to leave my friends in such bad shape, but that sow was the biggest threat. It would destroy everything. Buildings, trees, sleeping mortals. It had to be stopped. Retreat if you need to, I said. Just slow them down. I'll be back as soon as I can. Before I could change my mind, I swung the grappling hook like a lasso. When the sow came down from, the, from for its next pass, I threw with all my strength. The hook wrapped around the base of the pig's wing. It squealed in rage and veered off, yanking the rope and me into the sky. If you're heading downtown from Central Park, my advice is to take the subway. Flying pigs are faster, but way more dangerous. The cell soared past the Plaza Hotel straight into the canyon of 5th Avenue. My brilliant plan was to climb the rope and get onto the pig's back. Unfortunately, I was too busy swinging around dodging street lamps in the side of buildings. Another thing I learned, it's one thing to climb a rope in gym class. It's a completely different thing to climb a rope attached to a moving pig's wing while you're flying at 100 miles per hour. 
We zigzagged along several hour blocks and continued south on Park Avenue. Boss! Hey, boss! Out of the corner of my eye, I saw Blackjack speeding along with us, darting back and forth to avoid the pig's wings. Watch out! I told him. Hop on! Black Blackjack whinnied. I can catch you. Probably. That wasn't very reassuring. Grand Central Terminal lay dead ahead. Above the main entrance stood the giant statue of Hermes, which I guess hadn't been activated since because it was so high up. It was flying right above, right toward him at the speed of demigod smashing. Stay alert, I told Blackjack. I've got an idea. Oh, I hate your ideas. I swung outward with all my might. Instead of smashing into the Hermes statue, I whipped around it, circling the rope around its arms. I thought this would tether the pigs, but I underestimated the momentum of a 30-ton snow so in flight. Just as the pig, I... I like just as the pig wrenched the statue loose from the, its pedestal, I let go. Hermes went for a ride, and taking my place as the pig's passenger, and I fell, and I free fall toward that spirit. In that split second, I thought about the days when my mom used to work at the Grand Central Terminal candy shop. I thought about how bad it would be if I ended up as a grease spot on the pavement. Then a shadow swooped under me, and thump, I was on Black Jack's back. It wasn't the most comfortable landing. In fact, when I yelled, OW, my voice was an octave higher than usual. Sorry, boss, Blackjack murmured. No problem, I squeaked. Follow that pig. The porker had taken a right at East 42nd and was flying back to 5th Avenue. When it flew down above, when it flew above the rooftops, I could see fires here and they were around the city. It looked like my friends were having a rough time. Kronos was attacking on every, on several fronts, but at the moment, I had my own problems. The Hermes statue was still on its lease. It kept bonking into buildings and spinning around. The pig swooped over an office building, and Hermes plowed into an, a water tower on the roof, blasting water and wood every, everywhere. There's something occurred to me. Get closer, I told Black, Blackjack. He whinnied in protest. Just within shouting distance, I said. I'd need to talk to you about the statue. Now I'm sure you've lost it, boss, Blackjack said. But he didn't what I asked. When I was close enough to see the statue's face clearly, I yelled, Hello, Hermes, command sequence, Daedalus 23, kill fly pi flying pigs, begin activation. Immediately, the statue moved its legs. It seemed confused to find that it was no longer on top of Grand Central Terminal. It was instead being given a sky ride on the end of a rope by a large winged sow. It smashed, it smashed through the side of a brick building, which I think made it a little mad. It shook its head and began to climb the rope. I glanced down at the street. We were coming up on the main public library, with the big marble lions flanking the steps. Suddenly, I had a weird thought. Could some statues be automatons too? It, it seems like a long shot, but... Faster, I told Blackjack. Get in front of the car, pig, taunt him! Um, boss... Trust me, I said, I can do this. Probably. Oh, sure, mock the horse. Blackjack burst through the air. He could fly pretty darn fast when he wanted to. He got in front of the pig, which now had a metal Hermes on its back. Blackjack whinnied. You smell like ham! He kicked the pig in the snout with his back hooves and went into a steep dive. The pig screamed in rage and followed. We barreled straight for the front steps of the library. Blackjack slowed down just enough for me to hop off, and then he kept flying toward the main doors. I yelled out, Lions! Command sequence! Daedalus 23! Kill flying pigs! Begin activation! The lions stood up and looked at me. They probably thought one was, I was teasing them, but just then, Reet! The massive pink pork monster landed with a thud, cracking on the sidewalk. The lions stared at it, not believing their luck and pounced. At the same time, a very beat-up Hermes statue leaped onto the pig's head and started banging him mercilessly with a caduceus. Those lions had some nasty claws. I drew a riptide, but there wasn't much for me to do anyway. For, there wasn't much for me to do. The pig disintegrated before my eyes. I almost felt sorry for it. I hope it got to meet the bore of its dreams down in Tartarus. When the monster had completely turned to dust, the lions and the Hermes statue looked around in confusion. You can defend Manhattan now, I told them, but they didn't seem to hear. They went charging down Park Avenue, and I'm, a 
and I'm a giant that they would keep looking for flying pigs until someone deactivated them. Hey, boss, said Blackjack. Can we take a donut break? I wiped the sweat off my eyebrow. I wish, big guy, but the fight's still going on. In fact, I could hear it getting closer. My friends needed help. I jumped on Blackjack, and we flew north toward the sound of explosions. And that is the end of chapter 14. Wow, what a chapter. And especially knowing that watching that entire battle between Percy and the pig and the huge abnormally large pig. I really do wish Percy the best of luck and really do hope that he wins this battle because it's not only going to benefit him, but it's going to benefit all the demigods as well as the gods. So I really hope that he does beat the he does ultimately beat Kronos. But we'll have to see what he does next week with the in the battle when we read chapter 15 to 16. And before we end the podcast episode, I would like to apologize for my pronunciations. I do realize that some of my pronunciations may be off, but I am trying to improve and trying to uh, change the way I pronounce some of the words. And, and I do apologize if I am still uploading late. I am a bit uh, busy, so I do apologize for that. And so I will see you next week when we read chapters 15 and 16. And until then, stay safe and stay out of boredom.